is Memorial Day weekend, and we just want to set aside just a moment to say thank you to all of the men and women who have served or are serving. Any of you watching online, let's give it up for them, guys. Thank y'all so much. Uh, it means, you know, it means so much to us, yes, for some people tomorrow and, and others enjoying time with the family, but just recognizing that that ability to enjoy that freedom comes at the cost of many others who are currently serving, those who have served, and of course, those who've given the ultimate, which is their lives. And so just for us to keep that in mind, and, and, and also too, as the video is mentioning, if you know someone, thank them. Uh, thank them today if you can in person. Uh, if you can't see them tomorrow, then call them, shoot them a text, do something. Uh, it, it means a lot, and we're just so thankful for the men and women who do serve. And, uh, and the opportunity, I don't think we recognize this, we take it for granted that we're able to worship together as a congregation of believers and we so freely. And, and some, some people sadly miss out on that on a regular basis for things that are far more trivial. But in many nations, that is not the scenario. That's not the case. And so I just think when we're here is to recognize that not only is God's presence with us, which is most important, but also the fact that we're even able to do this. And we're not having to secretly go about um, almost in a sense guarding ourselves at all times about our faith. And so anyway, I just want y'all to know that that's part of the privilege for those who have served and those who have given the ultimate gift is we're able to do what we're doing. And so very thankful for all of you who have served in any capacity. Um, it means a lot to us as a church. We're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one this morning. We are in the fifth week of the month. And as, I don't know if you can see this and hopefully you guys have panned um, you guys who are watching online, um, our stage doesn't quite look the same. Um, it is completely covered, especially over here to my, to my right, and uh, they have done a phenomenal job, and they're not even done yet. When y'all guys come next week, right, on the 6th, uh, this whole hallway, uh, as you enter in through the side entrance, is going to be a tunnel. Okay, they're completely transforming the place, so I'm so thankful for our decorating team and for all those who are serving at VBS. Uh, we had our rally this last weekend on a Sunday after church, and it was huge, right? So we're, we are so excited. We already have, I believe, now this is just now, over 200 children signed up. Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know if to clap or to cry, man. This is gonna be exciting, okay? But I mean, we're, we're so uh, thrilled, again, because you have to realize on one side, it's an honor that parents, many of which don't even go to our church or go to any church, entrust us with the stewardship of loving their children, keeping their children safe, and sharing Jesus with them, which is exactly what we seek to do. And so I am encouraging you. Uh, yes, that's a high number. And honestly, on average, we have another 50 on the day of sign up. Um, and so I'm still telling you, invite people if you know them, because you never know. You never know what that one invite does you never know that, well, I've already invited them 10 times, Josh. Okay, well, the 11th may be the time that the Lord uses, that they've seen the way that you are living. They see the way that your children enjoy coming to church and learning about Jesus, and that might be the time. And so I just encourage you, if you have children, grandchildren, or friends within your family, bring them. Get them to be a part, and I promise you, God will move in their lives, and that's a powerful thing to behold as children continue to get to know Jesus Christ. Our last week on our memory verse, we'll get a brand new one next week when you come to church. It says this, say it with me, training the body has what? Some value, but being godly has value in every way. It promises help for the life you are now living and the what? And the life to come. And the life to come. We talked last week, and, and I know that y'all thought I was insane. Um, I did 40 verses last week, 
Praise the Lord, we're not going that many verses this week. But we covered it, and, and we looked at all of those who've come before us. We looked at our heritage, the faith of those men and women, like Abraham and Sarah, like Enoch and Noah, you know, Jacob and Isaac. I mean, all of these people who've come before us who, by faith, followed God without seeing. But by faith, they followed God, witnessed his miraculous works in their lives and were transformed and transformed the world as we know it. And we today, as Christians, we are living by faith and not by sight, experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And there is a smooth transition that's about to take place here. We go from chapter 40, or not chapter 40, but chapter 11 to chapter 12, and he's going from those who are of faith before us, and then it comes to the absolute exemplar who of the faith, which is Jesus, right? And then it says to us today, to his audience then, but us today in 2021, now, live out this life keeping your eyes, keeping your focus on who? On Jesus. No matter what you suffer, remember that God is using that as a form of discipline to draw us near just as he did with Jesus who learned what? Who learned obedience through suffering. Not that he was not obedient, obviously he's the perfect example, but nonetheless, throughout all that he went through, it only confirmed that he was the faithful son of God, that he is the forerunner of our salvation, that he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so we get to look at what has come before us and now today where we are and the transition is now in a racing term. The transition is now that we look at a marathon, that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that we keep the faith and that you do it with what? Endurance. Why do we do it with endurance? Because it's not easy. Not every day is hard necessarily, but it's not easy to continually be steadfast in our faith of Jesus Christ, to continually do that which is right as we talked about last week because faith is not just something that we adhere to mentally, it's something that we not only adhere to in our minds, in our belief, in our heart, but we live it out. You cannot separate the way that we live and the things that we believe. We live out what we believe. We live out the ideology which we find ourselves given to. And so in chapter 12, verse one, if you'll follow along with me, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves, uh, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's not for discipline that you have to, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed good, as it seemed best to them, but the disciplined us, 
I can't read this morning. I apologize. But he disciplined us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the path for your feet so that, you, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. He sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with many tears. And that is the word of the Lord this morning that we're looking at. We could spend the entire time on those first two verses, right? Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And therefore, what's the main point of verse one? Therefore, let us run the race with endurance. The other is filler. The point is he's transitioned into saying that our lives are basically like a marathon. A marathon is not something that you just get up from the couch and say, okay, I'm gonna go run a marathon. 26.2 miles, right? It's a long endurance. It's not easy. You've gotta be trained for it. In the process of training, you build up what? More and more endurance. More and more strength each and every single day. Learning that God is with you because what is trust all about in the first place? Isn't it that we can depend on someone else? In a relationship, for instance, how do you build trust? You build trust by spending time with that person. You build trust by learning about their character. You build trust by watching their actions. You build trust when they say, I'm gonna do it, and they show up and they do it, you're like, you know what, that's another uh, coin in the bank, or that's money in the bank, if you will, because I can trust them. Their word is good, and what does it tell us? That God, who cannot lie, has made us these promises, and he's saying this, the way that you're gonna learn to trust me is that you're gonna go through hard times in life. That's part of it. Are y'all following me this morning? As a Christian, that's part of the lot that we have. There are many, many, many good moments in great seasons, but there are also trials and tribulations, and we will enter the kingdom through them. That's part of it. If you think that God's mad at you when you go through hard times and you're not reading scripture, if you think that the difficulties that we face against unbelievers, against us, are the obstacles of health and so on and so forth, that's God disliking you, you're missing the point of it. We're being raised up, being conformed into the image of Jesus one day after another, no matter what we go through, learning that God is faithful and he is good and he keeps his word and he will what? He who began a good work in you will do what? He'll bring it to completion, amen? He'll bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're taking down notes with me this morning, number one is this. You have a race to run. Every single one of us. You have a race to run. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because it's what? It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's easy. Easy throughout life. Easy as a kid. I don't know about you, but I'm a little older than a kid at this point in time, and all you have to do is take me to a restaurant with a TV. I don't have to even care what's on the TV, but if the TV is behind my wife and it's up on the screen, I'm, I'm looking at it. And she's like, are you gonna pay attention to me? And I'm like, well, we probably need to switch seats then. You just get so easily distracted. I'm not even interested. 
You know, I don't even care what's really probably even on it, but I'm being sucked into it, right? There's so much in our lives that just distract us, do they not? So many things that we come into. I had a, a guy when I was in college, he came in and spoke to our class, and his whole point was having a goal in life, and again, it was probably all geared towards success and money and so forth, but nonetheless, having a goal in life, and he began to say that there's so many distractions out there, and he says, what I'd like to compare it to, if you really wanna be focused, if you really wanna narrow in on what's important, he says you need to basically see life through the lens of a straw, and he handed out a straw to every single person in the room, and we're like, what in the world is he doing? But if you close your eye, just like looking down a scope, but a little bit different, and look straight down the straw, the narrowing of the view, the centralization of what you're focusing in just comes into view. And all the extra peripheral does what? It begins to fade away because it's no longer there and you're focused on what it is you're doing. So what does he say in verse two? Looking to Jesus, run your race, knowing that you're surrounded by who? Remember all of chapter 11? By such a great cloud of witnesses. And the idea is that you're running Inside of a stadium, what happens in a stadium? You got people cheering for you, hopefully. And these people are cheering you on and telling you, keep on going. Don't lose sight of the goal. Don't lose sight of Jesus who died for you, who gave his life for you. Don't lose sight of what he's done for you. Keep on running. I know you feel like you're all alone, but keep on going. You're not alone. God's with you because he promised to be with you and his word is true. All these people before you, look at their example. Keep on moving. Keep on going. Even when you're like, I don't have any more strength. Who's our strength in the first place? It's God. In our weakness, he is what? He is strong because we're no longer dependent upon ourselves. We're depending upon him. Paul's over here saying, I prayed three times, Lord God, take this pain away from me. And the Lord said, my grace is what? Say it with me, church. It's sufficient. It's not until you get into a place where you don't have any way out that you can think of that you finally get to the point where your knees are where they ought to be in the first place saying, Lord God, save me, help me, deliver me. And God is gracious and he's faithful to do that very thing. You have a race to run, so keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, the problem is, is that there's a lot of good things in life. And you're like, that's a problem? No, it's not a problem. It's just when we elevate the good things in life and we put them in the place of the greatest thing, which is a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who it says that we were created for him and by him. And therefore, that's the purpose of our lives is to know him. It's to be in relationship with him. It shows and it makes everything else clear. Be great at whatever you do. God gave you those passions. God gave you those gifts. Excel in whatever you do, but don't forget the one who created you. Don't forget the one who gave you the passion and the one who gave you the gift. Don't forget him. That's what he's really getting at here. I had someone tell me about a goal the other day. I was getting my hair cut. The hair, honestly, that's probably one of the coolest places. People talk about people watching. <laughs> you go get your hair cut and uh, you hear all kinds of things. You get educated in some form or fashion. I don't know if some of which should be deleted or, or what, but I had one of uh, the people telling me about this uh, program. You know, everybody's got this diet or whatever it is that they're gonna follow, and it's called 75 Hard. Um, and I'm not telling you or endorsing this, but it's basically 75 days of no sugar, five-minute cold showers. Yeah, you following that? Four liters of water, 10 pages of nonfiction book, uh, you, it just keeps on going with some pretty weird stuff. And then you're like, what's the whole point of this? It doesn't even, it's like, you don't even have to choose. You just choose your own diet. 
You just can't have sugar in the process of doing it. And so it's just like naming off these things and you work out, oh yeah, twice a day. So take for instance, you, you have never worked out and you're like, I'm gonna work out twice a day. 45 minutes each time, one of which is outside. <laughs> we live in Louisiana. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's insane. And I'm over here listening to this and I'm like, are you really gonna do this? Well, I'm gonna modify it. <laughs> I'm like, so you're not gonna do it? No, I didn't say that. I'm gonna modify it. And I'm like, all right, whatever that means. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, it's a goal. It's a highly unrealistic, possibly unhealthy goal. But it's got the attention of the person who was sharing it with me, and there's nothing wrong with the goals in our lives, okay? Y'all understand what I'm saying? You gotta have them. You should have them. But it's when we elevate money or status, even marriage, children, it's when we elevate the things of life which are good to the place of God, that's when we get distracted. And that's really what he's talking about here. He said, therefore, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. It's basically imagining not only are we surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but we're also surrounded by a bunch of distractions. And we're also surrounded by a bunch of distractions that in many cases lead to sin. And the sin is basically like an athlete. If you're a runner, is it better to have way more clothes on when it's 100 degrees or less clothing? Less clothing if you were having trouble with that answer, okay? The whole point is you get so easily entangled because it's like a picture of sin in your life is basically like a weight on a runner. It's like wearing a 50-pound vest on you. It doesn't make any sense. It's only slowing you down. It's only hindering your ability to run the race well. And what he's saying is get it out of your life. See, the cool part about this is it applies to all of us. You know, whether you're 40 and your kids are in their teenage years or, or whether you're 14, 15, 16 years old and, and you begin to say, well, what about my life? How, how does God's word apply to my life? What about the sin in your life? What, what about the people in your life? Who are you surrounding yourself with? What are you pursuing? What has your attention? Just think through it. And maybe the things that have your attention, they're not bad things, but maybe they have too much of your attention. There's a big difference, isn't it? Maybe it's got too much of my energy and too much of my emotions. And sometimes maybe, maybe it tells me really the place that it has in my life when it doesn't go the way I want and I just feel crushed. Maybe I put too much emphasis on the way that I'm either received or not received by those who I care about. Again, it's not wrong to care about what other people think when you respect them. But when other people have the ability just to crush you, or when you don't get the job or the promotion or whatever that may be, and it crushes you, maybe we're putting too much weight and allowing something that could be good to actually be something that is a distraction in our lives. See, he goes on to tell us that what are we to do? We're to keep our eyes on, look at verse two with me, looking to who? Looking to Jesus. We're, we're to look to Jesus. How do we look to Jesus? We, well, we look by reading his word. We look by coming on a Sunday morning. We, you're doing it right now, and you're like, I didn't even think I was looking at Jesus. You are. You're doing it right now by being with other believers. They're doing it right now as they're loving on our children by sharing about Jesus. They're doing it. We're doing it right now. Some of you watching right now, you're doing it. Because you've taken aside the time and said, Lord God, I'm, I'm dedicating this time. Many people this weekend are on vacation. 
praise the Lord to be able to do it, amen. But checking in, tuning in, taking time to read their Bible as they sit by the beach or go to the lake or whatever it is that we're doing, listen, it's redeeming the time, it's choosing the best, always putting the things of God in front of you. Because if we're not careful, we get what? Distracted. Blinders on horses, y'all seen them before, right? If you've been around horses at all, you've seen them. You put the blinders on horses just to keep them from thinking about the peripheral, right? Race horses especially, because they want them to focus on one thing and one thing only. Keep on going straight, because a racehorse has everything to do with the power that is generating the forward momentum. If you watch a jockey before, they are some of the smallest people on the face of the earth. It is not like they're just gonna be able to yank them around. It's not how it works. They are only there to direct them and to guide them because they're to run, what, the straight line as they come around the course again and again and again. And the point is what, that they would be focused. Me and my dad were riding a horse when I was younger. We got so many crazy stories but we were riding a horse together. We didn't have blinders. And my dad, we came by a tree. It's not actually called this, but we call it a horse apple tree. And uh, my dad let me pull a horse apple off, off of the tree, one of those big green, you know what I'm talking about? They're not apples by any means. They're disgusting. Uh, pulled on one of those off the tree and I was holding it and everything was good. Me and my dad on the same horse. I'm probably, I don't know, five, six years old. Everything was good until I had the idea in my mind. You ever have good ideas that you know you shouldn't do? Like you're just like, I know I shouldn't do this, but at five or six, what's the worst that could happen, right? Anyways, I'm like, huh, I can either hold the apple or I can throw the apple. I can either throw the apple behind us, the horse won't even notice that, or I can throw the apple right in the view of the horse and see what happens. I don't know if I really put that much thought into it, but I grabbed the horse apple, I smoked it right there on the ground, and that horse whoa, up there like that. And there was no Lone Ranger for us. We flew off the horse's we nailed it on the ground because the horse was all of a sudden doing good, staying focused, and next thing you know, this obstacle came in there, scared him to death, threw us off the horse, and it completely lost track of what it's what? Its goal was supposed to be in the first place, and that's exactly us. That's exactly us. There's lots of good things in our lives, but stay focused. Stay focused. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says this, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We're compared to soldiers. You don't just say, well, I'm going to take some time off. No, you are enlisted. You serve the duration of time that you're given. You stay focused. Because if you don't stay focused, what's going to happen? You're not only going to get killed but you could potentially get your entire platoon, your people around you, them killed too because you're being what? Follow with me, careless. That's what happens to us so many times. In Christianity, there is no cruise control, okay? In Christianity, there is no cruise control. You're either fighting the fight, the good fight of faith, or you're going downstream with the rest of the world. We gotta keep our eyes open. We gotta stay alert. We gotta stay focused. Because anything that's worthwhile takes what? It takes a fight. It takes energy. It takes investment. We do the same thing with our education. You want a good education? You what? You pursue it. You work for it. You fight for it. You wanna have a retirement at the end of the day? You delay gratification so that you might have something to live off when you're older and not work until your bones are brittle, right? You do that. You delay the gratification, and this is what he's telling you. You are going through difficult times, true, 
What does verse two say? But Jesus despised the shame of the cross because of the what? Of the joy that was set before him, delaying the gratification. Just like Moses, who is though seeing the one who is invisible, delayed and said, I don't want the pleasures of Egypt. I want the very praise of God, right? We are of the same lineage when you say this, God, I'm gonna focus on you. I'm gonna live for you today. I don't care what the rest of the world says. I don't care what the rest of my friends or associates or whoever, I am yours and you are mine. And if they fit in the puzzle, amen. But if they don't, as much as it hurts, I'm yours. Romans 8.18 says it this way. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I'm not, I, Paul's over here saying, I'm not even going to give it. The, it doesn't deserve justice. It doesn't deserve the comparing. And some of you are like, you don't know what I've been through. And I don't. God does. He tells us in Psalms that he bottles the tears of his saints. He knows, God knows. God is not unaware. He knows and he cares. But he tells us that the very same joy that was set before Jesus, who is willing to be hostily attacked, crucified, mocked, all of these things that he did not have to do, but he did it for what? So that he might, what, bring many sons and daughters into the presence of God the Father. When you walk by faith, you are walking in the very footsteps of Jesus Christ himself. When you choose what is right, when everyone else is choosing what they call the gray and the blurry, and they're like, well, it won't legally get you in trouble, but you know in your heart of hearts, you can't do it in faith. When you choose what's right, God's over saying, that's my son. That's my daughter, and I'm well pleased. When you forsake some of the things of what getting ahead of others at the expense of others, God's over here saying, you don't worry about that. For the home that I have prepared for you, for the eternity that I have prepared for you, you will not regret a single day of doing what is right in spite of what everyone else did. You will not regret that. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame of the cross. For the joy that is set before me and for you, we despise all of the ridicule that we may receive. We despise all of those people who do schemes under the table when we could do the same thing and get ahead and maybe nobody would notice and maybe Uncle Sam wouldn't catch us and maybe we could do it. But our Father, our God, our King who saved us by the blood of his own Son who bought us, not today will you regret living for him and running your race well. And not a day will the generations of your children who come after you, who hear of you, maybe never even meet you in person until the day in glory, but who hear of the story of your honesty, of your integrity, of how you love Jesus more than you love life itself, of how you forfeited some temporal things so that you might live in a way that's pleasing to God. Not a single one will say, that was in vain. What legacy will we leave? What heritage will our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so forth receive from us? And this leads me to my second. It is while you're running, so while we're living, that your heavenly Father brings you to maturity. That's when it happens. So we keep our eyes focused on Jesus because during the time that we're running this race that we call life, that we live by faith, there's going to be times of trial. There's going to be times of suffering. 
there's going to be times when you're just like, God, I don't even know where you're at. Do you care? And the answer always comes back, yes. It always comes back, yes. You know, physical training. How do you get stronger physically training? You have to use, what, more resistance, right? You wanna run a longer distance? You wanna run a marathon? That's not me. But if you want to, do you take off 26 miles on the first day? Not a chance. If you do, please let me know. I wanna video you. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's you, I would love to video you. I will cheer you on until you fall flat on your face and then I'll, I'll get you some water and if you pass out, I'll drive you to the hospital, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's you, but how do you do it? How do you do it? You slowly but surely increase the intensity. Slowly but surely increase the length and the duration. You slowly but surely, you build up the what? Same thing, verse one, endurance. You wanna get stronger? You press more and you press more. Greater and greater intensity, greater and greater weight. Some of us are saying, I wanna grow in my faith, man. I want God to use me. But we don't wanna go through anything that's difficult. How do we imagine to become more patient, more loving, more kind, more gracious? How, how do we become more courageous as Christians if it is not through the testing that our heavenly Father who loves you dearly will, according to scripture right here, and does send your way? If he sent it to his son Jesus, chapter five, verse eight and nine, who learned what? Who learned obedience through suffering. Do we not think that our heavenly father who is wise, perfect and infinite in knowledge is not going to send things our way that we might what? Grow up in our faith and according to Romans eight twenty nine, be conformed into the very image of Jesus. Do we not think? And the answer is he absolutely will. He absolutely does. And what do we say? He goes on to say right here, he says, if you think that you got it bad, now look at verse four with me. He says, in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. I don't know about you, but if you've been complaining lately, have you lost your life? You know, have you died because of your faith in Jesus Christ? We're having a conversation before we got out here in the, in the band room about, you know, the beach. Yeah, basically like, yeah, the sand's a little too much, and yeah, the pool, but the kids play in the pool, and I'm over there like, what first world problems we have, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're talking about these things that are so minuscule and don't really matter, right? We're talking about those, they're fun, but he's over here saying in verse four, he's like, have you to the point of shedding blood? And the answer is, no. No. I don't know if y'all have ever done this before, but we did this as well when I was growing up, is rock hunting, We'd go out there and, and, and find rocks, me and dad and stuff, and it was fun. We went out there, Arkansas and other places like that, and then if we found some good ones, we would bring them home, and he had this old-timey tumbler. Um, if you've ever done this before, it's cool. If you've never done this before, you should do it with your kids. And anyway, in a tumbler, you have like, you put the rocks in, obviously, and it spins it around, and the rocks are hitting against one another, but then you also have uh, basically this, this grit and grime. There's a heavy level of it, there's a medium level, and then there's a fine level of it. And for the first two weeks, you put the heavy grind. And so it's just like really just tearing at it. It's kind of like sandpaper, right? You have different levels of sandpaper that can do different things depending on what you're needing. So for the first two weeks, basically, you let this stuff just grind 24-7, just grinding, grinding, grinding. Then you clean everything up, 
and then you put the medium grade and it does it for a week and it grinds. Then you clean it all up again and then another week you do it with the very fine tuning stuff. Then you clean it all up and then you do it for one more week with the polish and with a little bit of water in there and then before you know it, depending on what type of rocks they are, they come out and they're beautiful and they're smooth and they're lovely, right? How does it happen? There's a lot of wear and tear. There's a lot of wear and tear and we're like, man, God, I want you to make me like your son, Jesus. Remember when we pray that, because it's so true? There's gonna be a lot of wear and tear because God is not gonna leave you where you are. He's gonna take you to where you're going. He's gonna complete the work. He's gonna continually sanctify you by the power of his own spirit, changing your life and changing your attitude and changing your action so that you might be more like Jesus so that you may, ready for it? Verse 10b, share in his holiness. Now, I wanna ask you a question. If you were one of the kids that your parents spanked you a lot when you grew up, did you enjoy the discipline at the moment? And the answer was no. You did not enjoy the discipline at the moment. If you ask my sisters, they would say that I needed a lot more discipline on my way up. Um, my, my parents wisely you know, chose the way that they disciplined me. I was the third one, so I guess they were kind of tired of doing stuff, right? But the thing is, is that over time, no one enjoys it. No one. But look with me real quick. Look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been what? Trained by it. Trained by it. One of our, our members here were just sharing earlier about how they have a, 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 young, a young child and, and, and baby, and it's just like, you know, enjoy the moments, right? I enjoy them when they're older too. Um, but nonetheless, enjoy the moments. But they were talking about how they have to baby-proof their whole house as, as he gets older. And I'm like, well, it really just depends how you discipline them along the way as to what you do and don't have to get rid of. Some people bubble wrap their entire home. Um, but other people use a little bit of a heavier hand and help them understand that they're not supposed to grab things. So it's totally about how you raise them up and what you do. Listen, by the way that you're trained is the way that you'll live is the way that you'll respond. And God's over here saying, I'm raising up Sons and daughters who are what? Productive citizens, not of just earth, citizens of heaven. And so there's a lot of edges. There's a lot of edges that gotta come off. But I didn't want that. You want Jesus? I didn't sign up for that. You want Jesus? I didn't like how that felt. You want Jesus? The answer is, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be with him. John Bunyan said it this way. It's always hard to see the purpose in wilderness wanderings until after they're over. It's always hard to understand why you went through what you went through. It's always extremely hard if you're going through something right now and you're just like, I, this is horrible. It is extremely hard in the dark to tell other people that you can see the light. But I've never found in my own life personally that when things are over that I'm not able to see how God has changed me. And the greatest changes that ever occur in my life are sometimes the hardest of situations. 
the most difficult mentally, emotionally, or physically in my own life, that God uses those very things to help conform me into the image of his son and depend less on myself, less on my own abilities, more on him and more on his ways. It is when I go through those times. And a lot of us are saying, but I don't wanna go through those times. And he goes right back to it. No one likes the discipline at the moment but when we are trained up by it, it brings a what? A harvest of peace and righteousness to our lives. It brings a harvest of peace and righteousness. And he goes on to say this, and he's quoting out of Hebrews chapter three, verse 11 and 12. What's he saying? He's saying, don't you remember the verses? How many of the fathers, how many of the mothers out here who love their children never discipline them? How many? Honestly, if you don't love your children, then you'll never discipline them. You always just say, here, take it. Here's what you want. Take it. Every parent who loves their child does what? They discipline them to what? Protect them. They discipline them so that they might enjoy their company. They discipline them so that they might enjoy them for the rest of their lives. They discipline them so that they might spend time together. They do these things out of love. There's no parent in here unless you're a sadist, which is really weird, you need Jesus, who just loves spanking or disciplining in whatever form you may do your child. Nobody loves that. It is very difficult, especially when your child is looking at you with tears in your eyes before it ever occurs and you're just like, listen, it's because I love you that I am doing this because I want to see you live the right way. It's those times. And he says, if our earthly fathers who did the best that they could disciplined us, how much more our heavenly father who knows you ready for it? Exactly what you and I need to get us to where we're going at the right time in our season, in our journey, in our race, how much more sense does it make that our heavenly father would say, I'm going to use these circumstances. I'm gonna use these trials. I'm going to use these things in your life to help you move forward in your faith so that you might mature and share in my holiness. How much more should we expect to experience such things, which leads me to my close. If you run with endurance and do not quit, you will inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the promise of next week. That's the promise of next week. We inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If you don't do what? If you don't give up, if you don't quit, if you don't throw in the towel, the Navy SEALs, they have a bell. Ring the bell, tap the bell. They're always telling them, because it's a mental game more than anything. Navy SEALs, physically, of course, hardcore, right? But at the end of the day, after you're hardcore, they're trying to break you mentally, and they're telling you, just tap it. All this can end right now if you just tap it, and I wanna tell you the world's telling you the same thing. All this could end if you just follow along with everybody else. All this could end if you just give up this whole idea and this notion of God and Jesus. All this could end. All of it. Just give it up. Just do what everyone else is doing. It could all be so much easier for you. And that is the very temptation that we see in life, is it not? He closes with this pretty wild example. If you look at the very last verses, verse 15 through 17. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Chapter two, verse three told us, 
What hope is there for those who reject the gospel? What hope? Chapter 6 and chapter 10 both told us that once we've tasted and seen that God is good and then we reject him, what hope is there of coming back? What hope? In John 6, at the end of the chapter, Jesus said some hard things. And it says all of those disciples and people who are following him because of the miracle of the five loaves and two fish, it says when he told them these hard things that weren't easy for them to receive, it says they all left. And then he looks at his boys and he says, are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave too? And what does Peter say? Where are we going to go? For we have come to know that you have the words of life. We've come to know that you are the Savior. Where are we going to go? Who are we going to turn to? There is no one like you, Jesus. There is no one like you. He says, don't be like Esau. Don't be, verse 16, sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Don't be like him. Y'all remember the story, Genesis 25? Check it out later. Genesis 25, Esau comes from hunting and he's tired and he's weary and he's just, just hungry. And Jacob, he had just cooked some fresh red stew. And Jacob was a cunning guy, not the best always. But nonetheless, he comes in and he's like, give me some food, please. And Jacob says to him, I'll give you the food. He's the older brother of the two, right? They're twins, but he's the older one. He says, you give me your birthright. Now, I want to go ahead and put it this way. It really doesn't matter as much in our day and time, but your birthright meant everything. That was your future. That was your inheritance. That was your everything. To give that up meant basically to give up life itself and just say, I, I scorn all that was to be given to me. I don't even care. Just give me what? Immediate gratification. Immediate comfort. Give me that which is temporal. I'll trade you that which is eternal. I'll just give it up. He made him swear by it, and what did he do? For one single meal, he gave up his birthright. He uses this as a comparison and contrast to us. He says, he's been building the whole argument, right? Do you know what you got? Do you know what Jesus has done specifically, put your name in there, for you? Do you know what is waiting for me and for you all of eternity? Do you know the joy that was set before Jesus which caused him to overcome all the obstacles, all the shame, all the scorn? Do you know? Do you know what's waiting for us? Do you know what we have as believers? Do you know? Don't be like Esau who trades the temporal comforts of this world for the eternal reward of being in the presence of God, living in a new heavens and new earth with resurrected bodies, don't trade it. Keep your eye on Jesus. Stay focused because Galatians 6, 9 says it this way. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in what? In due season, we will reap. If we what? Hear it out, church, come on. If we do what? If we don't give up. If we don't give up. That's why verse 12 and 13, it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the path of your feet so that what is lame may be put, not put out of joint, but rather be healed. What's he saying? I know that you're tired. 
I know that you're weary. I know that some of you are going through some really hard times. I know that you've been suffering. But do not forsake the calling of Jesus. Don't forsake. Don't miss what you got. Stay focused on it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the what? The pioneer and the perfecter, which is another way of saying he's the beginning. He's the end. Hebrews 2.10, he says that what? He's the founder of our faith. He's the one who made a way. He's our hero. He's going before you. He empowers you. He equips you. Do not what? Don't give it up. Give up your life long before you give up your faith. Don't give it up. For in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says it this way. So we do not lose heart, though our outer selves is wasting away, our inner selves is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us. Come on, church, you ready? Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Did y'all notice the word there? Beyond all comparison. Put it in your mind. The coolest gadget, coolest gadget, coolest whatever. All that would just satisfy you, you think it would. And put your mind right back here. Beyond all compare. There's nothing that compares to Jesus. And the wild part is, I can't talk you into that. According to scripture, it says that it's a supernatural act of God that one comes alive by the Spirit Himself, that you would recognize sin and your need for Jesus. For those who know Him, you know He's good. Keep walking, sometimes crawling, sometimes running. Don't forget about those who are around you. Don't forget about your children who watch you, who long to see the Christ-like character in you. Think of all those great examples, the footsteps in which we walk and the shoulders in which we stand on. But let us not be like Esau or those who abandoned all that was given to them because they couldn't see past the temporal. Let us be those who see the eternal. Let's stand and pray. Father, we come before you this morning saying, thank you, Lord God, for what we have. Lord, open our eyes to the glory, Lord God, that awaits us. Open our hearts and our minds to receive a greater revelation of your son, Jesus. Continue to perform miracles of the resurrection of those who are spiritually dead, Lord God. Continue to work in our midst, Father, changing hearts and changing lives, healing marriages, Lord God. Continuing to comfort those who are broken, Father. I ask you, Father, that you make yourself known, manifest yourself, Father. Even as we sing this song, there is nothing more that we could ask for than to have you. For some of us, I pray just in these moments that we take that from a theoretical thought that we agree with to a heartfelt joy to know that we are yours and you are ours. May we not waste a single moment as we sing praises to you. In Jesus we pray.